podcast within a podcast pottering around the shrieking shack of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who would very much like to have a cup of tea with Ramus Lupin. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Uh, doing quite well and glad that Lupin exists in these books. <laughs> I have a question. Okay, it's not time Where for that. Where does your... Sure. It isn't, <laughs> but it is not about the book. It's about you. Okay. Um, where did your pronunciation of of uh lupin's first name come from probably the movies okay just i've always heard the uh or it might be midwestern actually now that i think about it (laughs) (laughs) uh the uh two brothers that were uh apocryphal in in rome's founding as uh remus and romulus yes uh, yes, this this might be a d- difficulty that people from the middle of the country have with vowels. <laughs> okay. It also would be it also would be doubling up on wolf metaphors when it comes to one character, which seems excessive. And yeah, I don't I don't I don't know because now I am also like happening to realize that I don't hear much of a difference between Ramus and Remus. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are questions that I don't want to face right now. <laughs> we are out of segment right now. Bad, BJ. Bad. Stand in the corner. Um, so in, instead of asking about whether my sort of uh, pronunciational lexicon is skewed in some way or another, uh, we have some segments that we do. <laughs> We do. Uh, what are they, Sarah? Well, we have segments, and they are they are for this week. They are for Chapter Eight of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, titled "Flight of the Fat Lady," which I think I pronounced correctly. And um, our segments: we have a rapid fire recap. We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes. We have uh, Spencer's Newbies Notes. House points are awarded, and then there are uh, questions, which have been uh, off pod hinted at and previewed and many of which will probably not be answered so par for the course endeth our recap (laughs) our our recap of recaps yes and and to which our recap segment will be recapped shortly it it slots Mm. in quite nicely to our podcast within a podcast well sarah in terms of your summary of this chapter i feel like harry goes like nine places before this chapter is done how long is that gonna take you you are not wrong spencer um, I, ooh, uh, so the beginning of this chapter is relatively light and then it gets much heavier. So I think I can still fit it in in two minutes. Um, we'll Do you see. ever say that happened? Uh, I don't. <laughs> okay. Um, hold Looking on. Looking forward to seeing, seeing what you do say. Do I say that? I don't think I do. No, I do <laughs> say because McGonagall at one point though. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Seems reasonable. Um, do you have the stopwatch ready, Spencer. Uh, the giant novelty stopwatch is prepared and ready to go. After you. So, Defense Against the Dark Arts is actually a hit, but Snape is worse than ever, Trelawney is regularly predicting Harry's demise, and Hagrid has lost his teacherly nerve, so much so that they're only studying flubberworms. However, Quidditch practice is starting up again, and Oliver Wood is panicking over ending his Hogwarts career without Gryffindor winning the Quidditch Cup, which has made practices intense. 
Then comes word of the first Hog Hogsmeade weekend of the year, which has the third years and above all at Twitter and provokes a probably foolhardy plan for Harry to get McGonagall to sign his permission form. During this conversation, Crookshanks arrives and, uh, or I'm sorry, Crookshanks attacks, arrives, and Ron is again upset because Scabbers is in his bag. As if in response to him saying it, Crookshanks does attack. There is a melee in the common room, and Ron is furious with Hermione, provoking many chilly interactions the next day. In the midst of this, fellow Gryffindor Lavender Brown gets word that her rabbit has been killed, apparently fulfilling one of Trelawney's predictions. Hermione remains skeptical. At the end of the Transfiguration, her, uh, Harry tries to get McGonagall to let him go to Hogsmeade, uh, to no avail because McGonagall. Halloween comes and Harry goes to see the others off, who promise to bring, bring back treats. Harry wanders around and finally runs into Lupin, who shows him the Grindylo he's gotten for the next lesson and makes him a cup of tea. Harry decides to ask why Lupin wouldn't let him face the Boggart in class. Lupin assumed, had assumed that it would turn into Voldemort and is actually quite impressed when Harry tells him about the Dementors, which are essentially fear themselves. Snape interrupts, bringing Lupin a potion that he's made because Lupin is feeling off color. When Hermi Ron and Hermione return, they're loaded with sweets and presents and news of Hogsmeade. Harry fills them in on his conversation with Lupin as they make their way to the Halloween feast, where Harry tries to keep an eye on Snape amidst the food and the ghostly entertainment. They head back to the common room, but the fat lady isn't in her portrait, and it seems to be closed. Percy investigates and calls for Dumbledore. They're finally able to see that the portrait has been slashed, and the fat lady has fled. Uh, Dumbledore arranges a search, but Peeves helpfully turns up to say who done it. Sirius Black. You ended on the exact second you needed to. <laughs> that is two weeks in a row, Spencer. <laughs> Damn! So many points for Ravenclaw, they're going to be so happy with you. And I think my favorite thing is I'm noticing more and more that, that you have uh, incorporated alliteration into your summaries. <laughs> this is how I make it through the day, BJ, and it is mostly for your mm. entertainment. <laughs> I just want to let you know that I notice and I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I, I, I am d very happy to see that this has not gone um, unnoticed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, BJ, I'm still looking to your segment because I was as I was reading through this, I saw the sentence from hell, and I'm just waiting for you to go into it. <laughs> um, so, so I have a poll for the rest of you. Mm. Do you prefer the term sentence paragraph or paragraph sentence? Oh, I prefer sentence paragraph. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So, if you had to take a guess as to the number <laughs> of sentence paragraphs. Oh, dude. <laughs> I made note of two, but I imagine there's more. I'm seeing a couple. Um, can we do an over-under on this? Uh, we can do an over-under, and I will say that when conversation is happening, I'm not including those because that seems like cheating because for whatever reason, that that's like a... Uh, I assume that's more of an editorial thing as opposed to a, a writing mm -hmm. thing. Um, and so we're just going to pretty much ignore dialogue that happens oh, that separates okay. out into paragraphs. Oh, I see one at least. <laughs> All right. So where are you putting me over under? Um, I'm going to do in chunks of five. <laughs> God. All right. Well, there already blows my estimate. Did <laughs> <laughs> uh, just tell us BJ. <laughs> yeah, what we got? Um, I believe it's eight. Oh boy. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> It was in good form today. Mm. Yeah. So um, the most impressive one comes earliest in the chapter. Okay. Um, uh, starting with there were seven people on a Quidditch yep. team. Yep. Which I understand in certain in a certain way that that it is separated out 
almost all the time by semicolons, and so you could kind of say that it isn't a, you know, one sentence. It, it really is split up by punctuation. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn, the secret However, throws that off, don't they? <laughs> that's the other thing that I wanted to bring up, <laughs> that, that you have a bunch of semicolons separating out a list, and then there's a shift, and then there isn't a semicolon separating out the seeker, which is a thing. Um, the other thing that, that I very much appreciate is the overuse of parentheses, which is something that is near and dear to my heart <laughs> since I do that all the time. Um, but I am going to read the, this one sentence because it is uh, a doozy. Um, Careful, BJ. Careful. Just will say that there are seven others in this chapter, um, some right after the other, and I might make brief mention of them. Deep breath. Okay. There were seven people on a Quidditch team, colon, three chasers, comma, whose job it was to score goals by putting the quaffle, open paren, a red, comma, soccer-sized ball, close paren, through one of the 50-foot-high hoops at the end of each, at each end of the field, semicolon, two beaters, comma, who were equipped with heavy bats to repel the bludgers, open paren, two heavy black balls that zoomed around trying to attack the players, Close paren, semicolon. A keeper, comma, who defended the goalpost, comma, and the seeker, comma, who had the hardest job of all, comma, that of catching the golden snitch, comma, a tiny, comma, winged, comma, walnut-sized ball, comma, whose capture at the end of, uh, ended the game and earned the seeker's team an extra 150 points. Get that man some air. <laughs> Period. Um... The lack it, of that just, last semicolon is really bothering me now. <laughs> yeah, that's just a plain error, right? Actually, I might take a pin and just put... <laughs> Don't mind me. Go on without me. The semicolon error now. just needs a little edit. It's fine otherwise. It's fixed. Mostly. It's fixed. Mm-hmm. My um, copy is correct. <laughs> so, um, one of the things that I really do appreciate is that all of the... Um, chasers are female mm-hmm. i believe yeah, yeah um mm-hmm. angelina johnson and i've forgotten who the other one is uh katie yes uh alicia spinnett and katie Bell yeah there are three of them are all mm-hmm. the three yep three three chasers um which given when it was written i think relatively forward thinking and appreciate mm-hmm. um so we have a couple of other uh sentence paragraphs uh later on um with they're often split up by uh semicolons but not always um there are some entertaining uh entertaining ones describing filch and what he does (laughs) it always seems like when filch comes up there is a sentence that just rushes through it and i wonder if that's sort of out of distaste for filch (laughs) um and uh yeah so so quite entertaining throughout the the uh the chapter finding those uh, it sort of fascinates me and i think this is a this is going to be end up being a good balance with um the entertaining words that seem to have mostly petered out since since book two um a little bit tougher for this chapter is what sort of comes in and saves the day mm-hmm. um because we sort of had lupin in, in a previous chapter do that and there really isn't there there's just sort of of a progression there isn't just uh something that rescues the chapter in 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 many ways but but i'm going to say um 
seriously deus ex <laughs> um because that is one of the bigger things that moves the the plot forward in this chapter yes and it might occur in the last line of the chapter that is true but there it is um, but but it does help um and there are some other notes that that i think i will append to newbie's notes that uh, things that I appreciate that happened in this chapter. Okay. But before to not co-opt or preempt such things, Spencer. I have notes. Um, <laughs> point number one, I'm going to reference, I'm going to start with this because I'm going to almost end with it too, but Snape's hatred of Lupin is weird and gets weirder when you see the two of them interact in other settings as well. That we previously had established that, you know, he just stares the same daggers at him as he stares at Harry, and now we have some justification in the sense that he kind of sort of humiliated him in front of the students indirectly, but it existed before that, and now it just has extra fire underneath it. So I'd be really curious to see what we find out more about why that is. I feel like from what we see of uh, how students are responding to the divination course that it needs a built-in rebuttal course immediately, or immediately after it, because just McGonagall taking the piss out of it is clearly not enough. These little kids are getting their lives wrapped up in this in the same way that call various people for tarot card readings do, and that needs to stop. And yet, they will continue attending it as part of their required... Is it required, or is it, this is an elective curriculum? I'm actually trying to remember This right is now. one of the elective like a lot ones. Of them are taking, okay, just a lot of people are still taking it regardless. Uh, in terms of requ- uh, other courses, poor Hagrid. He had such a good day, and now we're seeing him with just his confidence utterly wrecked. Everyone was engaged, he was having fun, the students were interested in learning that was clearly a very important topic, and now they're basically looking at flatworms all day because he's afraid to do anything else. Malfoy, you're the worst. Mm. Uh, okay, he's got competition, but, you know, it's a list. There is a, there's a box called The Worst, and he lives in it, too. Uh, Oliver Wood is a continually weird character that we just see every now and then in this book. <laughs> For he has basically no characterization other than that he's really passionate about Quidditch. And it's way of, his way of expressing it in this chapter is to deliver one of the most self-centered versions of win one for the Gipper speeches I've ever seen. <laughs> for it's essentially win one for me. Which yeah. apparently inspires the crowd, so kudos, I guess. I but, mean, it, it's, I really want to win it before I... I feel like it's better than just win one for me. Mm-hmm. But... But yeah, I, I definitely do see that. I, I wonder if uh, Rowling has never interacted with somebody who plays sports other than vaguely when she was head girl at her secondary schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the like, I've watched some movies. This is clearly what happens. <laughs> I'll, I'll be curious to see if he ever becomes a more well-rounded character, which I guess since this is his last book, probably not. But... Basically, his role has been to be the overly passionate Quidditch guy in every scene that he is in. And Are you he... saying that he's a little bit wooden? No. No, I am not. Thank you for checking, PJ. I'm going to take a breath now and continue. On to Hogsmeade. Uh, on the subject of Harry going to Hogsmeade, Hermione, you're absolutely right. Ron, you're an idiot. <laughs> nothing, nothing new there. It's not like there's actually a murderer actively looking to, you know, murder him that is just roaming the countryside in a way that no one's where he currently is until maybe the end of this chapter. But sure, Ron, he can totally go. All of this is just about a permission slip. On Crookshanks, Ron, you're right. Hermione, you're being selfish and rude. Your pet is trying to murder his pet. I agree. There's something weird about that rat. But, and again, 
she worked. Uh, J.K. Rowling works in threes. I think this is the third time the Crookshanks has now tried to kill the rat. So I'm focusing on something being important or relevant here about either Crookshanks or the rat. But ignoring all that, your pet is trying to murder his. That's not okay. When when Ron's responding back to you, it's not that he's saying the cat's at fault. He's saying that you're in the wrong because you're letting it happen. Everyone's aware a cat's a cat, and a cat's going to try to kill a rat. That's what they do. But you can stop it. You're the human. That's your job. And you're just willfully stepping away from it, apparently. So work on that, Hermione. So who do you think has bushier hair? Between who? uh, Crookshanks or Hermione? Yes. Uh, You know, I'm very curious to see how they're played out in the movie. Because I'm thinking it's a pretty close competition right now. In terms of other pet-related events, I'm always amused by how just occasionally grisly out of nowhere these books get. And the fox just ripping apart the rabbit off-screen qualifies for that, as I look down at the rabbit that's right now pawing at my leg trying to get a treat. And Hermione, dear lord, in the words of the dude, you're not wrong, you're just an asshole. It's like, this is an excellent cross-examination you just delivered. This is a very well-done breaking down of the points that this other person was asserting. But you're doing it of a grieving victim, and cross-examination 101 is you'll lose the jury if you do that. The jury, in this case, being the readers and all of your friends. So yes, you're absolutely correct about divination. It's some wonderful points you made. Just not now to this person in this moment who just heard got a letter saying her pet was ripped apart. Don't do that, please. How could you be this bad with the peoples? Uh, in terms of people who are much better reads than others, uh, Longbottom's grandmother apparently took a page from my parents' book and decided that I am the messing up factor and need to be bypassed in any situation involving responsibility. And has taken that with respect to uh, Longbottom's permission slip. But yeah, I lived that story more than a few times growing up. It's like, Spencer, great. I'm just going to make sure your professor is hand-delivered this, not by you, and everything will be fine. Love you, Mom I was going to say... Uh, in reference to that, I think I told you guys this story at some point, but um, at some point during my, my grade school years, um, back when we actually had spelling tests, oh, yeah. um, it, we, we had to get our pretest signed, um, and it was worth five points of our final test, mm-hmm. and so I had a 95% average at the end of the year. <laughs> told me this yeah just on principle and so so when it was just like i i feel for neville like i one of the few times that that he's not completely like a weird stand-in mm-hmm. of of the like i'm scared but i appreciate this aspect <laughs> of him well we get more weird stand-ins for this chapter is done because percy once again appears just in time to be the worst and le- he has one paragraph and he's the worst <laughs> and then a, you know a reference at the end which this is not too bad but that paragraph is the worst and then immediately thereafter we get colin creevy for no good reason appearing as a character and then happily disappearing again <laughs> hopefully to not return but immediately following these two people being the worst uh we see harry reach one of his lowest points we've seen him in the story I mean, just even in the visuals we get of him just kind of sadly roaming the halls, not knowing where to go, feeling abandoned by his friends and the world, and just dwelling in his depression, and then Lupin arrives, and everything is okay again. And that just seems to be Lupin's role in this universe, is let's take a, let's take a character who's been put to a very bad moment, and then work to make everything rosy once more. Because the, he just kind of reaches, looks out of his office, sees Harry, brings him in, and our the mood of the characters, the chapter, and me immediately improve from there. It's just 
he's so well-meaning, and just there's no, there's seemingly there's no pretense about him, though I'm ready to be dashed in those hopes. And yeah, most of the other adults who've seen the story come across as being either very impersonal or just outright cruel, and he's not that. He's the professor that we want. And as said, I'm ready to be proven absolutely wrong with every assumption I have about him, and just <laughs> dreading it. Uh, it's nice to have the Bogart explained, and probably a good call by Lupin that if frickin' Voldemort appeared in the middle of the classroom, there might have been a riot. Probably would have been a riot. Assuming any... You know, I'm kind of curious whether any of the students would even recognize him by sight. Not that I even know what Voldemort really looks like at this point, but... Yeah, you don't want to stick your nose where it doesn't belong. <clears throat> Writing that down on my list of jokes I did not get. There we go. This, is, this isn't like a later in the book get. This is a watch the movies, I assume. Oh. Can, it's, can we spoil it's that one, somewhat, Sarah? Or? I mean, it's referenced in the books as well. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it on my notes of jokes I do not get yet. Uh, did you not see any of the previews for any of the movies? No, really didn't. I saw. The, I watched the first film and I think part of this one. like A few minutes of this one. Uh, and now that, other huh. than that, I no didn't really. Hmm. I I, I really, generally don't watch previews. Period. So that could be part of it. I want to watch you watch the movies more than I want to watch. The movies. <laughs> <laughs> this is true for a lot of things. BJ. That seems fair. Watch me make cookies for Pete's sake. Not uh, unreasonably, okay. <laughs> I know. Uh, but it is it is nice to have Lupin explain this, and I like that it immediately just banishes Harry's fears. We are left with Lupin's, uh, Lupin's uh, suggestion that the only thing that Harry fears is fear itself, which now leads to my house theory that Harry is reincarnated FDR, <laughs> which would be a really funny thing to explore further. But, okay. Uh, the last scene we get, though, of Harry in Lupin's office is just strange. Because previously we've seen Snape barely be able to even be polite around Lupin, just staring daggers at him, being rude in front of students. Here where there isn't an audience, which may be a suggestion of how Snape runs, he walks in and has relatively, apparently, kindly, upon request, prepared a specialty potion for Lupin, which we have no idea what it is, and that which frustrates me imminently that we don't know what it is. But it appears to be something that helps him, that he immediately needs, that helps address an ale of his, that Snape is voluntarily helping with. This is like dogs and cats living each other mass hysteria to reference Ghostbusters. I'm confused by this. And it just really frames again that Snape is an oddly complex character who, on his own time and even bleeding into his professional life, is a consummate asshole. But applied to his professional life, we've seen before that he is willing to do things that he feels are necessary for either the greater good or his obligations. Including previously protecting Harry, uh, I think this is back in book one, if we're correct me if I'm wrong, my memory mm -hmm. is rough. But That's he's correct. the one that helps keep Harry on his broom when uh, the... Uh, old Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher's trying to murder him. Yes. Yep. He's also the one that confronts the same guy later, in, uh, 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 either around the same time in the book, about what he knows about him, is apparently keeping Dumbledore at least someone in the, in the loop about his concerns and investigation. All also, of these are, mm -hmm. I would assume that plying on his professional pride is a really good way to get Snape to do something. Very possible. Uh, this is hitting him in terms of his potion uh, specialty and skill, Though I do really enjoy that Harry immediately assumes the, the potion's actually poison, just based <laughs> on the idea that Snape will... Snape's goal is to become the Defense Against the Dark Arts feature no matter the cost, no matter what must be paid. And he's just constantly trying to subtly suggest to Lupin that you may be killing yourself right now, <laughs> which doesn't play out for all the reasons that Hermione pointed out that would be, you know, obviously concerning or obviously tie things back to Snape. 
but still reflects that if there will ever be a point in these books that uh, Harry and Snape become friends, there better be at least two and a half to three books of explanation for how that came about. <laughs> There's a monstrous amount of baggage to overcome there. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a weird theory to peddle. Um, this is but, your second pedal joke applied to this guy, and I definitely didn't get the first one because I assumed it was potion-related. Okay, double. I'm putting an X2 on that list of jokes <laughs> I didn't get. So the other thing that I find interesting, and I wonder well, if it'll happen in future books, is is Harry always like completely unperceptive? Unperspe- uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a character trait of him, yes. Mm-hmm. Is this like a Gryffindor thing, or? Yeah, I think there's a certain oh, like exist. amount of narcissism though that happens with Gryffindors. <laughs> the world is me, and everything else. Yeah, is Yeah, we especially when he hits his sort of uh, d- teen years, um, he becomes very angsty for a while, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which I think uh, is is related to this point. Spider-Man angsty, or? Um, I don't. Know. Oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> Spencer, do you, you, you know what I'm referring to at least? Uh, I'm referring to, I, I know what you're referring to, yes, but this is a Harry okay. Potter podcast. References <laughs> are not meant to be limited, sir. Fair enough. I, um, I, I, I've pushed it to the friggin' Big Lebowski this episode. There are lines <laughs> that we need to stop crossing. That's true. Um, to, to finish this chapter up, i got a few questions that I fully expect you'll taunt me with, Sarah. Um, but this is now the second, across two books, we've now had either inanimate or seemingly immune objects be imminently threatened by our villain. Mm. In the last book, we had a ghost that was taken out by what ultimately proved to be the Basilisk. In this book, we now have the uh, fat lady of the Gryffindor house portrait in flight under threat from someone slicing her painting. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to have a question about this here in a moment, but it is interesting to see this repeated motif of technically immune beings under threat by our villain, particularly ones that are associated with the provenance and protection of House Gryffindor. Though, as to whether Sirius Black himself is involved, probably, because it seems like this is the plot shift moment that each of these books have, but it's Peeves, people. (laughs) Of all the sources you want to trust, this is not a guy you put in front of a jury as a reliable witness. He runs on confusing and taunting you for his amusement. Consider that. This is like Breitbart accidentally reporting a true story (laughs) yeah this is the sudden scoop that you're never going to trust them with yeah this is the boy who cried wolf dude oh man that feels oddly appropriate maybe (laughs) didn't mean that Uh, reference yep (laughs) um but (laughs) man i wish i was actually that clever uh yeah i'm gonna end there because i'm too abused with myself i found it interesting that peeves is allowed to exist within the castle Mm -hmm. um under purview of pretty much everybody that seems to hate him and i sort of like i wonder what the interaction he has with slytherins is like but it really seems like everybody hates Mm beefs i think that dumbledore finds him amusing i could totally imagine dumbledore being the only reason that he's there it it, in reference to your point though and sarah remind me of this isn't the only thing that peeves is afraid of the house ghost of slytherin yes but everyone is afraid of the bloody baron not just the name alone all right well, I do believe we have house points. Yeah, I honestly, guys, I don't know what to do with house points in this chapter. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, yeah, there's a lot of movement in this chapter. And I think that, um, you know, objectively, if I'm trying to figure out who has had the worst day, it's a lot of sort of people and objects that 
don't normally fall into the purview of the house points that we award right. or don't. It's like Scabbers had a terrible time, but like Yeah, and the fat lady not... clearly came out pretty bad at the end of this chapter, but she's a painting. Right. So, um I mean, Harry had a very bad beginning of the chapter, but mm-hmm. like kind of to your point, Spencer evened out and I mean, he had a while there he had a plot chapter. Yeah. And so I would say that that is a a bad chapter because he's confused. <laughs> okay, if we're defining bad chapters for Harry on being confused, you've defined ninety percent of his time at Hogwarts, if not more. Every I, time. Although I don't think that's a bad m- interpretation, honestly. <laughs> like when he gets things and he succeeds, that's he wins. that's a good chapter. <laughs> mm. Um, you know who who like is an actual human who had a bad chapter though. Who had an actual bad chapter? Lavender Brown. You know, very fair. Yeah, that's our loser. That That is a bad day by any measure. That's not even just a bad Harry Potter day. That's a bad day in the world. This is a bad day. Yes. She lost her pet, and she might be making some um, unwarranted assumptions about how she should have known about this happening, but... Yeah, it's even worse. She's blaming herself yes. as a result of this whole prophecy nonsense. It's not good. So other than a PBS show... Are there any other two-color characters that you can think of? In oh, this book or in general? J- just in general. Ooh, um... I, I, mm. This, this uh, will require further thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so the other thing that, that um, I think we should continue to, to track is um, Harry's proximity to his owl. He thought about going to see Hedwig today. He did. And, and that's day exactly when <laughs> the day got better. And so, you know, I, I sort of wonder if, if just the mention of Hedwig rather than the actual presence of Hedwig is, is important for... Um... <laughs> that, might, that might be true. That might be true. Um, in terms of... Hedwig is his shibboleth. <laughs> just say that and everything becomes good. In terms of who had the best chapter, um, I don't know. Nobody had, like, a great chapter. Except for Peeves. Peeves? Yeah. <laughs> we got to. Peeves had a good day. Yeah. So, I don't know. Peeves, Peeves won. Peeves swooped in at the end and gave bad news to people. So, this is great. <laughs> may, 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 I, I agree with Peeves, absolutely. But in terms of, you know, living humans, maybe a fallback would be Wood. In the sense that his, you know, apparently at this point, even the, even the Weasley twins are behind him and feeling bad for him and supporting him. So... At least there's a hope for the future attached to him. He's got this kind of ability to motivate others through his own self-pity. Wood is one of those characters who is annoying because of how fervent <laughs> he is. Yeah. And how it affects other people. But the team genuinely likes him. Yeah. There's nothing... He's not a bad guy. Yes. He's just very solely focused on one thing. Yes. In that regard, he's actually quite friendly and supportive and... He's always had Harry's back, despite how unusual it was for Harry to get in his position. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. all markers of a good guy. He's just frustrating to read. I think that's I think that's fair. So, um, <laughs> in perhaps the only time that this will ever happen, a split decision <laughs> between Peeves the Poltergeist and Oliver Wood. <laughs> Man, uh, uh, things you could have told me at the start of this book that I would have just said, BJ, stop it with the jokes. You're clearly just trying to mislead me. Oh, man. So in in a question that can only be a spoiler, mm-hmm. does Wood take up professional Quidditch? Um, 
Poopins would appear again after this book. We do see him again. I can answer that question. Okay. Oh, it's actually a spoiler. Well, that's fascinating. No, it's actually, it's really not. Um, what we do find out <laughs> is that he gets picked, and we find this out in the next book, he gets picked up by um, I, what I would call like a semi-professional team. It's not a national team, but it is a, one of the kind of lesser regional teams. Okay. So he goes on. <laughs> I don't understand how you have... And, and anyway, um, Spencer, uh, go ahead with your question, because I'm more confused than before I asked the I question. I don't understand why that's confusing. <laughs> All right, I'll start with questions that I think you actually can reasonably answer. Um, are, go- are paintings actually under threat from physical harm? Like, if a painting is damaged or destroyed, is the character who lives in that painting also under threat, given that they can jump between them? Like, if I slash a if, I, if you've got the painting of the fat lady in the Gryffindor door, mm-hmm. and I slash the part of the painting that she is in, mm-hmm. does she take harm as well? Um, or was she just merely scared and running from a scary thing? Yeah, I think actually, like, weirdly enough, um, Peeves is, is right here. <laughs> that um, this is kind of a really fear and embarrassment on her part. Gotcha. Um, you know, the, the question of kind of the difference between... Um, nearly headless Nick in the last book as a non-human kind of thing in the world being affected by something dark and the fat lady's portrait like this one actually makes a lot more sense because the portrait is an actual entity in the world yeah um Mm -hmm. and so my certainly my understanding and I don't think that we get I don't think that we get any evidence otherwise is that like she is not harmed um, the painting is harmed, and we don't see other subjects of paintings being harmed if the painting itself is harmed. So I gotcha. think that the fact that they can move around is mostly keeps them safe. So I have a follow-up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do the common room passwords work? Because maybe I'm completely misremembering, mm-hmm. which would be on brand, uh, but there is essentially an approach to this painting, I, as I understand, you say the password and then the door opens. Yes. Is there now continued access to the Gryffindor areas? Oh, because, because back. Um, um, <laughs> because uh, the fat lady is gone. Right. So what we find out at, and, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but it's only a small one, and I think that you'll like it, and we find it out in the next chapter, um, is that in his... Uh, marshalling of the situation that night, Dumbledore appoints the painting of Sir, Gat- Sir Cadigan as the stand-in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> with um, but my effects you might... Okay, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just yeah. going to say, with the effects that you might predict given our previous interactions yeah. with Sir Cadigan. He's probably so happy. Um, is there some sort of weird respect that wizards have for paintings? Because I can't imagine that the Weasley twins haven't at least thought of the prank of, uh, and and maybe this is only a Gryffindor thing, but defacing or removing or something, a painting that holds the key and access to a house common room. Oh, yeah, I think that, I think you're probably, I think there is like just a kind of blanket respect for especially the paintings that... um, that guard the common rooms like it just never like i don't think it ever enters into anyone's mind to do that just because it's such um, a known 
thing about the world. Gotcha. And so the other common rooms are similarly painting protected? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head how they got... I don't think Slytherin was I don't think it was either. I know that... Oh, wait, that's not Hufflepuff. That's the kitchens. The kitchens are protected by a painting. Are painting protected. Uh (laughs) Um, But I don't... And we do... Slytherin wasn't, but I don't remember what it was. Do you, Spencer? It was it was somewhere down in the dungeon. I thought it was just like a wall that they just spoke it to, and it opened up. That might be true, I, and we I, do have we do find evidence of other kind of doors that are just like hidden in walls. Um, mm-hmm. But there are there are some things in the castle that are protected by like statues and things too. Um, and we yeah. do go into at least the Ravenclaw. I think we go into the Ravenclaw common room. I can't remember if we go into the Hufflepuff or not. Um, so I think that will be something to look out for because now I'm not sure what is actually protecting okay. them. Um, and now I have another follow-up question that I know that there is not an answer in the books, but I just want to hear your speculation. Okay. So paintings come alive mm-hmm. um, and photographs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how good of an artist does the person creating it have to be, mm. even though they're magical? So does is a somebody that has very little talent and is drawing really bad stick figures or similar um, lack of talent. What happens to those monstrosities? Yeah, this is, I have no idea. Because, you know, I think we talked a couple of episodes ago, and I would like to point out that, like, I've gotten way more questions about paintings over the course of all of these podcasts than I ever expected (laughs) would come up. And I think that in the relative weight of things that have been asked questions, about which questions have been asked, uh, paintings have been... Uh, heavily favored in all of these books mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in questions um, because we talked in an earlier episode about whether it is like something to do with the magic of the person painting yeah. that does it or if there's a spell that brings it to life afterwards mm-hmm. and I think and I assumed that there was probably some sort of spell that brought it to life afterwards that would make sense. But, um, but I also just sort of imagine like an eight-year-old that has spillover magic yeah. to do some like really weird like crayon drawing that just everybody is scared of. That would be super interesting. It also would not surprise me if that were the case. Um, I kind of yeah. wish that was a scene in one of the books because we do get to see some younger, like some actual like little kid wizards at one point. I feel like we need to start tweeting at jk Rowling like with some yeah. of our questions that either are or aren't answered in the harry potter apocrypha but i feel like we probably shouldn't go delving into this until after we've finished, finished that the books. yeah let's make sure but i do feel like this is a question that deserves an answer in, in answer to one of our prior questions i looked up in book two what the slytherin room mm. is uh, malfoy paused by a stretch of bare damp stone wall and then he says the password pure blood and a stone door concealed in the wall slid open. So it's completely unmarked. I, and now that I'm thinking about it and I'm trying, I, I, I could be completely misremembering this. And I don't remember exactly what it, what the object that they speak to is. But I think that Ravenclaw, instead of having an actual password, has to answer a riddle. Oh, that'd be in keeping with the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man. I'm just, I'm just thinking how much I'd end up sleeping on my sheep outside. That was, that was how I got into my house. Um, uh, other questions? Other non-painting uh, related questions? I, I have an owl-related question. Okay. 
Uh, we hear in description of what's going on in Hogsmeade that there is a owl delivery post with different speeds of owl. Yes. Uh, could you tell me what those are? Mm-hmm. What and they're... which ones would best carry a coconut? <laughs> and how many would be required to carry a co- carry coconut? Possibly with creeper. Um, yeah. What they are, what the differentiation between them is, and what rank Errol would be in. Yeah, so, oh, well, hmm. <laughs> that is... It's by colors, I think. Kind of its own thing going on in the world. Yeah, so let me, hold on one second, because I think I can, without actually spoiling anything, give you a full description. Oh, perfect. Um, but um, I just need to find it real fast. I do have a, are you looking on the internet? No, I'm in the book. Okay. Um, at some point, and I will apologize to, to ask you to do this, and maybe we'll do this off pod, but there is a weird uh, capitalization of the Owlry, and I was wondering if that was a thing in the book, and if that was just sort of like capitalizing like the post office or, or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's the case, yeah. Okay. Um, hmm... I'm not seeing it off the top of my head. It might actually be in a different... Different book. It might be in a different book than I'm remembering. But essentially, there are a number of different... Like you would choose an envelope for the sort of class of mail that you are sending. You choose an owl based on whether it's a local delivery, uh, whether you need it to happen particularly quickly, whether it is a very long-distance delivery, um, or whether you are kind of doing it like by freight, essentially. Um, So is owl racing a wizard like dog racing thing like it it happens but no one really talks about it and there are professors that are like deeply in (laughs) debt to betting on the wrong owl um not as far as we know and we do meet a very shady character later who does not mention it um who is involved in the sort of lifting and reselling of things as well as a lot of gambling um and owl racing does not come up but i'm trying to remember what he does bet on I'll get back to you on that, but I don't think it's out racing. Um, Errol would be retired, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Not even local deliveries. No, I don't think he needs to be doing that either. <laughs> Just promote, promote him up to Postmaster General. Do it that way. I was going to say, rain, sleet, and slow, and snow will prevent him from going on his appointed rounds. <laughs> oh, for Pete's sake, a stiff breeze would knock that poor guy out of the sky. He is, he is should be Owl Emeritus, and that's about it. <laughs> um, but uh, at some point, we will get a description, actually, of the post office, um, and it is delightful. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I think the only question that I have, and I don't expect or or uh, maybe particularly even want an answer <laughs> is is there actually any security to hogwarts <laughs> because even the dementors like if this is actually mm-hmm. not even if this is actually serious black like literally so far we've had absolutely no nothing that even borders on security other than the haphazard groundskeeping um that hagrid does yeah, no, the only, the really the only security that they are concerned with, and this is probably telling, is all of the spells that uh, keep muggles from figuring out, from coming anywhere near the castle, essentially. But as gotcha. far as, like, security towards the Wizarding <laughs> World, actually, the only thing, there is one spell that is kind of, so there is some security, um, but it's mostly 
encompassed in the idea that wizards cannot apparate or disapparate from inside or either into or out of Hogwarts. Like, you have to go to the periphery of where those spells um, end, essentially. So you can't be on the grounds and and mm-hmm. automatically apparate or disapparate. Um, but, you know, apparently you can just walk on, walk on the grounds. <laughs> Always an option. Spencer. Uh, you know, my, my remaining questions are things like, what's the potion? <laughs> Am I going to be ultimately crushed the fact my favorite new character is actually evil? Was it actually serious Black? It's a whole list of things that I'm mostly just <laughs> ranting at myself about, so I will spare us those. Okay. Um, and so I guess the last thing that we vaguely touched on, but I kind of want to point out and maybe ask a question associated with it, so it's in keeping with this uh, segment, which is how much of Snape's personality is centered around the idea that he's difficult and showing that as a personality trait rather than that being what he is in smaller groups because he seems to be reasonably nice to pretty much everybody like one-on-one um hmm i think he's still pretty prickly okay yeah i mean i think that we we certainly do like obviously he is having some some better one-on-one interactions with people um he is being at least civil to Lupin in this chapter. He has done something. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, I think that you were kind of both right talking about this earlier. Like, I, I do think that there is a not insignificant amount of his civility towards Lupin being wrapped up in his professional pride in putting together this potion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he seems to have some sort of relationship with Dumbledore, although we haven't, like, particularly seen that yet. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I think that he is competent, and in fact, a very good potion maker, um, mm-hmm. and has a lot of baggage. <laughs> yeah. And for some reason, doesn't follow the adage of those who can't do teach. Mm-hmm. I, I think he might not. He just might not be hired anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be too much of a liability, for Pete's sake. Actually, maybe that's that's the defining feature of are you working at hogwarts it's not like at your actual capacity it's your soft skills <laughs> only at hogwarts can you injure this number of customers on any given daily basis <laughs> it's only okay there seems reasonable yep. all right so next time yes um we are entering chapter nine which is uh, grim defeat that... how do you feel about that spencer okay well a grim is the black dog, and that's a black dog is my image. And I've seen a black dog before. Oh my god, oh my god, is there going to be a black dog? Do you mean a puppy? I'm preferring more a ravenous wolf, but you know, I'll take a puppy. <laughs> uh, to be determined, I suppose. Damn it. Alright, looking forward to it, y'all. Uh, till then, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye.